This is 91.3 WYSO, your home for independent news and hand-picked music. I'm Jerry Kenny. Thanks for joining us. This is WISO Weekend. Coming up on today's program, some of the latest news on the COVID-19 front. You'll actually join WISO's Lila Goldstein as she takes a coronavirus test. We'll also hear news from around the state. First, on the local front, hot weather has continued in the Miami Valley this weekend, and it looks like it'll stick around the next few days. WISO environmental reporter Chris Welter has this. The heat index could hit 101 degrees on Sunday and Monday. The heat index is a combination of the air temperature and the relative humidity. It's a measurement of how hot it feels. National Weather Service meteorologist Alan Randall says heat indexes are higher in places with lots of concrete, like the city of Dayton. When you have a lot of concrete, you've got buildings, roads, you don't have a lot of green area. That absorbs the heat and keeps it at night. If you've ridden a bike, when all of a sudden you go by um, a wooded area and you feel it be considerably cooler. So, you know, it could be like three, four, five degrees cooler as you go into an area that has a lot of trees. Public Health Dayton and Montgomery County says it's important to stay cool and hydrated in hot and humid conditions like this. If you have to go outside, drink plenty of water and limit the amount of activity you do. When the heat index is as high as it's predicted, it can be dangerous. You should seek out air conditioning right away. From WISO News and Report for America, I'm Chris Welter. Minor League Baseball has been canceled for 2020, putting teams like the Toledo Mud Hens, Columbus Clippers, and Akron Rubber Ducks in a tough position. And here in Southwest Ohio, the people who rely on the Dayton Dragons are bracing themselves for a big economic blow. WISO's Jason Reynolds reports. Minor League Baseball has become a major part of the fabric of downtown Dayton. Dragons President Bob Murphy says his team has had an annual economic impact of over $27 million. But... That's not going to be happening this year. So it's kind of the domino effect. When the season gets canceled, the dominoes begin to fall, and you start to see the negative consequence of us not being able to play baseball. Murphy says it's not just about ticket sales and concessions. The team also works with local charities to raise money for community organizations, like youth sports leagues and veterans groups. Then there are the Dragons employees. Murphy won't say how many full-time workers have been furloughed by the team. But, he says, on top of regular employees, a canceled season also means that roughly three dozen internships have had to be canceled. And over 250 game day employees won't have their summer jobs. It's more than just full-time staff. It's all the other people that are part of the Dragons family. People that are teachers that are working here to supplement their income or retirees. And then you also have like the college people that are working their way through school. He says the team is going to have to rely on its season ticket holders and its corporate sponsors to survive this lost season. He says it's a lot like when the Dragons were first starting out back in the year 2000. It was so great to create what we have created with the Dayton Dragons, and that's not the front office. It's this community has built the Dayton Dragons, and we're going to need that community to do it again because this is going to be a rebuild. While the Dragons may be able to survive a lost season, Without thousands of fans coming downtown, businesses around the ballpark are struggling. Brick's Ice Company is a sports bar right across from the stadium. Owner Chris Bahai says his business relies on Dragons fans. We're built to house 388 people on a game day. We sell about 500 
meals in that two and a half hours. And then we go back down to our mom and pop kind of uh, kind of environment. He says last April, Bricks Ice brought in $150,000. But this year, they made just $7,000 all month. They've been trying all sorts of things. Home delivery, corporate delivery, takeout specialty drinks. But for the month of June, they were still down 60% from last year. Now, there's no baseball for the rest of the summer. And Baha'i is worried about how to stay in business when there's no way of telling how long this pandemic will last. If somebody were to tell me we're going to be pretty much back to normal in 2021, I will move heaven and earth to make it happen. I will sell my house, whatever I have to do to keep it going. This has been my livelihood, and it's also been my family business, and it's been you know my retirement plan, and it's a little everything. Major League Baseball now plans to press ahead with a pandemic-shortened season, but all 160 minor league teams saw their seasons canceled. And some people are worried about the future of the minor leagues. The big leagues are drafting fewer players this year, which means there may be fewer players to assign to minor league teams next year. But back at Day Era Ballpark, Dragons president Bob Murphy says he's not too worried. I don't really have a doubt that we'll be back in 2021. I know that our ownership group is committed. So I would say, you know, we have a a high degree of confidence. For WISO News, I'm Jason Reynolds. Public Health Dayton and Montgomery County hosted its first free COVID-19 pop-up testing facility last week. The health department is trying to identify active cases and control the spread of the virus. Anyone was welcome to get tested and no doctor's recommendation was required. One of the people who got tested at the Rose Music Center in Huber Heights was WISO's Lila Goldstein. She sent us this audio diary about her experience. Okay, it's a little bit after 9, around 9.15, and the line is already, you know, well over 100 people. It's just uh, kind of surreal how much the world has changed, you know, to see people lining up in masks to get tested right next to concession stands and tour merchandise. Okay, it's about 10.15. I've been waiting for about an hour, and I'm just about to be checked in. There are some workers with computers Last name, Goldstein. First name, Lila, L-E-I-L-A. There you are. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Head around the corner and have a blue tape. Okay, great. It's 10.30, so I've been waiting about an hour and 15 minutes. I'm about 10 people away from the tent where people are getting tested. Healthcare professionals inside, they're wearing full PPE. They've got gowns on with masks and then um, face shields. Have you had this test done before, ma'am? I have not. Okay, Q-tip's going to go one side and swirl around for 10 seconds. Uh-huh. It may itch, burn, or tickle. Your eyes might water. You might feel like you're going to sneeze or cough. Okay. So you're going to be slide your mask down to expose your nose. Okay. All right, I'm just going to kind of look straight ahead and tilt your head back for me. Okay. Take a look here and see. All right. All right, Q-tip's going to come in. And down. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. All right, ma'am, that's it. You're all done. Okay, just one nostril? Just one nostril. Okay, thanks. That was kind of painful and just very strange uh, how deep they had to go. Yeah, so happened. It was so quick after, I guess I waited about almost an hour and 45 minutes. um, And then it took about 10 seconds. 
Um, now my nose is a little bit like tingly and I was a little teary-eyed, but um, you know, overall it was pretty short, so it wasn't too bad. <sighs> that was WISO's Lila Goldstein getting tested for COVID-19 in Huber Heights. Public Health will also offer free testing on Monday at the Montgomery County Fairgrounds from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. No appointment or doctor's recommendation is needed. To find out more, you can visit phdmc.org or call 937-225-6217. That's 937-225-6217. Fifteen-year-old Alex Earhart of Troop 85 in Beaver Creek is an Eagle Scout and the winner of this year's National Eagle Scout Service Project of the Year Award. For his Eagle Project, Alex designed and built an ambitious outdoor seating area for students at his high school, the Dayton Regional STEM School, where he's a sophomore. I met up with Alex outside the Hugh Taylor Birch Summer Camp in Yellow Springs, where Alex is working for the summer. I am working as an instructor for the Tecumseh Island program. The Tecumseh Island program is for all the first-year scouts, and it really helps them get most of the requirements done from scout to first class. You recently received an award for your project, a project you did for the Dayton Regional STEM School. Tell us about that project. From the very beginning, I knew that I wanted to do something for the school because it is a younger school, and I really wanted to play a role in that growth and be able to benefit students for many years to come. And I had a few different ideas for projects, but I was kind of unsure. I went to my school superintendent, and I asked her what she thought that we needed. And she said, you're a student here. What do you think we need? And the primary idea that I liked the most and that she liked the most and the other school administration liked the most was having outdoor seating for students. And so this would be for when classes were held outdoors on occasions? Yeah, it could be before school, after school, for recess, for outdoor teaching, just any time that we would have students to gather together and talk or learn. Of course, maybe not right now. It didn't get a whole lot of use as of late, but it definitely will in the future. The design that you came up with looks pretty uh, eclectic and pretty varied in, in seating levels. And tell us a little bit about what went into the design. When I was coming up with ideas for the design, I wanted it to be something that was really interesting, that was different. I've always been a little bit of a design nerd, if you will. So I've wanted to make something just really different, really interesting. I kind of like the idea of multiple levels because it just really allowed to kind of break up the boring, flat landscape surrounding it. You actually had a lot of people helping you out on this, correct? Correct. Total, the project took over 1,200 hours. There were 44 unique volunteers, and there were seven different unique workdays that we had to work on the project. It really wouldn't have been possible without every single one of the volunteers that came out and all of the businesses that uh, chipped in either with you know their resources, monetary donations, uh, services. So nice. And then did you uh, act actively uh, campaign for the support or did kind of word get out about this project and, and people get a hold of you? Yeah. I actively solicited donations from businesses. I went around to different businesses, you know, gave out my letters and told my story, told about how the project is needed 
by the students, what they can do to help, what all I need. And I got a lot of no's, but I also got a lot of yeses. So I'd, I'd say in the end it worked out pretty well. What kind of response have you had from the students at the school, faculty, and other people who have uh, seen it? All the responses have just been really positive, and it's really awesome to see all the students using and enjoying it. How did you feel when you uh, received notice of the award? Oh, I was totally shocked. Uh, it was one hundred percent a twist ending. Did not expect, but I would. I was. I was speechless. I just couldn't believe it. There are so many amazing projects out there. Last year, around sixty-one thousand Eagle Scouts earned their eagle, and of course, all of them had to do their project. Every single one of those projects has benefited their community in some way. So really, it's just amazing to be a part of this amazing class of eagles. Alex Earhart is a member of Troop 85 in Beaver Creek. Alex, thanks so much. Congratulations on your award, and uh, we certainly appreciate talking to you today. Thank you. Alex says scouting is somewhat of a tradition now in his family. His dad was also an Eagle Scout, and his grandpa was involved in scouting as well. Jerry Kenny, this is WISA Weekend. Thanks for joining us. Let's look at some state news. The Cleveland City Council recently passed a moratorium on building permits for new dollar stores, saying they don't provide healthy food options and take business away from locally owned convenience stores. Many of these locally owned convenience stores are trying to be a healthy resource for the community by offering fresh produce and the like. For Ohio Public Radio, WCPN's Anna Huntsman checked in on what's being done to support small corner stores and food access efforts in Cleveland's impoverished neighborhoods. Can I get a pack of black Inside Parkwood Drive-Thru in Glenville, you'll find typical convenience store products like cigarettes and alcohol. But big signs outside the store advertise fresh food, produce, and rice bowls. Believe me, he's good. When we didn't have food, he's bad, Grateful customers like this were quick to praise owner Jim Solomon, whose family has owned the store for more than 20 years. We are part of the community, like people know us as family. So I look out for you, you look out for me kind of thing. About five years ago, Solomon says the store started offering healthier options, like smoothies and fruit cups. If you're not at a fast food, you really have nothing going on in the neighborhood. And if they want to ever venture out to University Circle, there are other restaurants, but most people in the community stick around the community. A lot of them are on foot. He says options are limited, and many people end up going to a corner store, getting transportation to a grocery store, or walking to a dollar store. Dollar stores definitely do take away business from us. I mean, I can't compete with their prices. Unlike the local delis and drive throughs dollar stores aren't exactly known for their grocery options. Fresh produce takes up less than 15% of shelf space in most small box stores, according to the recent resolution passed by Cleveland City Council. Dollar General spokesperson Crystal Gassimi disagrees that small box stores don't provide healthy options. She says they sell some components for a healthy diet, like milk, eggs, and frozen vegetables. She says the moratorium will hurt the community. The addition of each new Dollar General store provides positive economic impact through new jobs and really helps the customers who are our main focus 
and being able to save money on the things that they need and replenish most often. Buckeye resident Deborah Gray thinks Cleveland has enough dollar stores already. Gray worked with the city to bring local store Simon's Supermarket to the neighborhood in 2018 after a giant eagle relocated, leaving many residents without immediate access to a grocery store. We didn't care what store came in here. We wanted a store that was high quality and great food for the community. Gray says local stores like Simon's are more willing to listen to community input than national corporations, which is one reason why she doesn't want any more dollar stores. They're making so much money off these communities that they're in, but they're not giving back. They're not engaged. But starting a new store from the ground up isn't always the most effective way to increase food access, says Morgan Taggart from Case Western Reserve University's Prevention Research Center. She works with existing corner stores like Solomon's to figure out what healthy options customers want and how to get them on their shelves. Working with the community assets that we already have, the stores that exist um, in Cleveland's neighborhoods already, and figuring out how to work in partnership with those stores in order to really make sure that their inventory reflects all of the options that a community is looking for, healthy items included. Taggart's team also does cooking demonstrations, and she says it's easier to work with locally owned corner stores than corporately owned dollar stores. Uh, Okay, I'll call you. Solomon says the reality is healthy food can be expensive to provide. But with many of his customers struggling with health issues like diabetes and high blood pressure, to him, offering healthier alternatives is an investment in the community. I wish other store owners, any small business, would try to find a healthier alternative for the community. You know, at least have that thought of, you know what, let me keep this healthier option just to give my customers the, the chance to choose whether or not they want to be healthy. Having that option did help a few of my customers, I can say, eat better. The city's dollar store moratorium ends this November. And in the meantime, officials are working to come up with small box store regulations that aim to promote the health and well-being of Cleveland neighborhoods. For Ohio Public Radio, I'm Anna Huntsman. Officials say a statue of Christopher Columbus will not be removed from in front of the Ohio State House until at least 2025. The nine-foot-tall copper statue of Columbus will remain erected in front of the State House in the largest city that bears the explorer's name. The Capitol Square Review and Advisory Board voted to draft rules in place that would outline a policy of removing a statue or monument off Capitol grounds. In other state news last week, the faculty union at the University of Akron held a rally to ask for support for what they feel should be the school's core mission, education. They're concerned about efforts to plug a $65 million budget shortfall that could deeply impact teaching positions, and they argue that the university spends too much on athletics. For Ohio Public Radio, WKSU's Kabir Batya has more. Streamers fluttered off dozens of cars, many with painted-on slogans such as Teachers Before Bleachers and Protect Our Students. The caravan wound from the university through downtown, Highland Square, and West Akron on Saturday afternoon, just days before U of A's Board of Trustees is set to vote on a reported 25% cut to the academic budget, which would include layoffs of full-time faculty regardless of tenure or rank. Pam Schultz, president of the university's faculty union, addressed the crowd before the rally.
In a video released last week, UA officials outlined a financial picture which has been exacerbated by the coronavirus pandemic and continues to change. A projected 20% drop in enrollment has been reduced to 15%. A planned decrease in state funding was scaled back, and the university will be getting some stimulus money from the CARES Act. Interim CFO Steve Stork says they can't dip into their reserves since that could affect the school's credit rating. The $65 million of reserves includes funds that are not easily accessed and we would have a difficult time meeting payroll and paying our bills once we use reserves beyond the first $50 million. On Saturday, Lori Kidd asked why the school won't make additional cuts to its athletic programs. The nursing professor has spent the last 21 years at Akron, and she participated in the rally, which began its route at Infocision Stadium. The liability of the stadium, I mean, it's beautiful, but the seats are empty in most of the football games. In May, University President Gary Miller acknowledged the need to trim athletic spending. UA cut $4.4 million from its athletic budget, eliminating men's cross-country in golf and women's tennis. The faculty union has questioned the costs of remaining in Division One. WKSU sports commentator Terry Pluto has been critical of the school's need for a $7 million Division One football program. Miller defended the effort to remain a D1 school. You know, we're a public research university. We believe that uh, Division One athletics brings us a certain kind of competitiveness, not just in athletics, but in our uh, profile to uh, students and to the community and So we believe that it is important. In our interview with President Miller in May, he told us there is a $4 million exit fee to leave the Mid-American Conference and possibly another $12 million to liquidate contracts related to the football program. To move to one of the other two divisions is problematic because those are not schools that are like us. They don't have the same kind of profile. Uh, Our competitors uh, academically uh, and research-wise are all schools uh, playing in Division One, and that's where we believe we uh, will belong. Miller points out that a third of the school's student-athletes are not on scholarship, and they contribute to revenue by paying tuition, fees, and housing. We believe it's uh, more prudent to cut our expenditures to continue to work with our MAC uh, partners as Division One evolves. Ian McCullough is a science librarian and also on the faculty union's executive committee. He says there needs to be a rebalancing of priorities. The students aren't the problem. The student athletes aren't the problem. It is the amount of money that we're spending, which is so out of line with everything else that we do at this university. It is a Lexus program uh, for like an economy car school. The focus is to make the University of Akron a technical teaching school without a lot of research and expensive faculty. And the thing is that the strength of the engineering program, the polymer program, all the things that people are proud of involve research. That's really what sets a university apart from a community college. Nursing professor Lori Kidd agrees. I don't really know how many faculty they want to cut, but, you know, a university is more than a trade school. You can't just have engineering and business and healthcare, like myself, and think that that's enough. You know, it's about broadening your world and your mind. The faculty union is set to meet with school officials this morning to continue discussing a path forward. For Ohio Public Radio, I'm Kabir Bhatia. And doctors from Cincinnati Children's Medical Center are saying that Latina and black pregnant women are catching COVID-19 at disproportionate rates. They looked at cases from the 14 hospitals they serve, stretching from the Dayton area to northern Kentucky. WISO's Lila Goldstein reports. 
Dr. Amy Rule is a newborn hospitalist with Cincinnati Children's. She says these communities were already vulnerable before the pandemic. I think the thing about COVID is, is that it's kind of torn this bandage off of the existing health disparities that already exist in our society. The medical center has created resource sheets in Spanish for COVID-positive patients and has put out videos as well. Here's Dr. Luisana Sanchez of Cincinnati Children's in a Q&A about COVID-19. Una de las primeras preguntas que tenemos es eh, qué estamos haciendo eh, para proteger nuestras familias y nuestros empleados de transmitir o prevenir el contagio con el coronavirus. Cincinnati Children's will also begin conducting surveys this week to better understand the reasons behind these racial disparities and what resources they can provide in the future. For WYSO News, I'm Lila Goldstein. COVID-19 cases are on the rise in Greene County. The Ohio Department of Health has been airing a new hyper-local advertisement aimed at getting people to wear their masks. Some people say masks don't make a difference. Fact is, if four out of five of us wore a mask in public, the spread of COVID-19 could be significantly reduced. That's what I believe. That's the voice of Dr. Kevin Sherritt. Dr. Sherritt is the Greene County coroner and a physician with the Kettering Health Network, and he's a local farmer, too. WISO reporter Chris Welter talked with Dr. Sherritt over the phone about what he's seeing in the Miami Valley. How can folks stay safe during the pandemic? A long time ago, back when I was in my residency, two of my patients were world champion ballroom dancers. Gentlemen could tell that I was really intrigued by the intricacy of their dance. And he gave me a piece of advice that uh, I've never forgotten. The most eloquent performances are made up of basic steps performed well. This COVID situation is much kind of the same way. Hand washing and sanitation is paramount. Social distancing, we know that this is an airborne virus. And so it travels through the air. The longer distance it has to travel, the less virulent it is, the less contagious it is. And then with that in mind, anything that impedes that airborne transmission is helpful. That's where masks come in. It comes down to the basic steps, hand washing, social distancing, and barrier protection. The message hasn't changed because the message is true. And the message is the, the simple steps are the best that we have to end up with a good performance. What are some other important things to remember during this pandemic? I have patients asking me all the time, should they do this? Should they do that? Should I go to large gatherings? Should I participate in life on a daily basis? And the answer is we have to live life. But my advice to patients is don't take any chances you don't have to take. If you don't have to make a trip, don't make it. Make those choices that limit your exposure. It's really important not to let your health lapse. If it's time for a checkup, get the checkup one way or the other. If it's a time to have your labs drawn, let's get your labs drawn. If it's time for a vaccine, it's time for a vaccine. We need to maintain those things. We can't throw the baby out with the bathwater in terms of your health. What will happen if people don't take this pandemic seriously? Right now, what we're seeing is literally just the tip of the iceberg. This virus is contagious. Uh, we don't have immunity to it, even though we're seeing very significant numbers across our nation. It's just a drop in the bucket of what it could be if these precautions are not taken. If we don't take this seriously, then we will see a number of individuals infected beyond our imagination. And our ability to deal with it at that point would certainly be overwhelmed. I looked at the numbers yesterday for Greene County, and we had 20 new cases yesterday, which is a significant increase. It seemed like forever we hovered around that 50 mark. 
and now you know we're well up over 200 close to 300 i think what what do you recommend in terms of testing when should people go and get tested testing for those individuals that had a significant exposure that is recommended secondly if you come down with symptoms that are unusual abnormal then you need to consider testing because since individuals are asymptomatic you could have been exposed and and not really realized it now if you have no known exposure and you have no symptoms, then certainly testing becomes more of a vague, ambiguous situation. I'm not really recommending at this point that they go in for testing simply because it would overwhelm the testing sites. Have you seen the people in the rural areas that you're treating? Uh, are they treating this pandemic differently than, uh, than people in the cities? I, I do feel like the people in our community are taking this seriously and they are doing a good job following those basic steps. And, and the reason I'm saying that is, is that our numbers are low. If you look at our numbers compared to surrounding communities and communities with similar uh, populations, our numbers are low. And I'm thankful for that. And I'm not, I'm not throwing stones at the surrounding communities because there's been, you know, there's variables involved that are out of people's control. But I am very thankful and I feel that we're very fortunate here in Greene County that our numbers are as low as they are. And I think that's certainly in no small part due to the fact that people are taking it seriously, I think, for the most part. And they are trying to, um, to do their part to prevent the spread. Dr. Kevin Sherritt, Greene County's coroner, with WISO News reporter Chris Welter. And that's a wrap for this week's WISO Weekend on WYSO. I'm Jerry Kenny. Join us next Sunday morning at 10 when we give voice to our community, our nation, and our world. Coming up, Vic McCunis with The Book Note.